How do we revolutionize cancer care? What innovations can solve global food scarcity? Can the next big leap in drug development come from a place you might not expect? These are the questions that drive us on New Wave, a podcast where curiosity meets life-changing science. In Nova Scotia, a new wave of pioneers are answering these questions, from reimagining how we treat the most daunting diseases to tackling the challenges of feeding a growing planet. Their stories are as inspiring as they are impactful. I'm Taylor McGilvery. Join me as we dive into these extraordinary narratives. We're not just talking about scientific breakthroughs. We're exploring how these advancements touch lives, reshape communities, and pave the way for a brighter future. Subscribe to New Wave on your favorite platform. Be part of a journey that takes you to the heart of innovation and shows how, in Nova Scotia, we're not just asking questions, we're finding answers. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Susan, 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 do you, do you have my wig? No, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I couldn't well, find it. Well, did you check where the wigs are, no, Susan? I thought it was in your spot. In Susan, I have to put my sparkly leggings on, and I have a goddamn solo in 30 to 20, 27 seconds. So get the okay, I'll be right back, I'll be right back, I'll be right back. Hey man, that top solo? Awesome. Thanks, Brian. You know, the crowd, the crowd's energy, that's what it is, okay? Just, just like speaks to me tonight. Just, where the f*** is Susan? Here, here you go, here's the wig, here's the wig. You had five seconds to go, you are Goddamn miracle worker, Susan. Thank you. Okay, wish me luck. Time for my big re-entrance. I love the vibes. Everyone here is a light in this world, and I want you to shine. I want you to shine like this. I'm so keen in my clean, sparkly jeans. This show is terrible. Yeah, the guy's a wreck. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to Life's a Wreck, uh, the podcast where I, Kyle Moore, your host, uh, along with my my lovely co-host over here. Yo, it's okay. Wait, co-host? No, i.e. The, the voice in my yeah, head. something about co-host doesn't particularly sit well with me, but we'll, we'll, we can talk about it after. It's stop, fine. stop fussing. It's in your contract. I'm going to get a lawyer next time. It's 
Please do. Honestly, I think suing myself would be hilarious. All right. Don't remind me I'm you. <laughs> That's okay. Guys, thanks. I want to give a massive shout out to my good friend Elle for the suggestion for this week's podcast intro. Give her a follow on Instagram at Elena underscore Ross. Uh, she's an incredible director, uh, one of the most talented people I know. So make sure to go give her a follow. Uh, and if you want one of your ideas brought to life for the intro of the podcast, all you got to do is follow the Life's Direct podcast on Instagram at Life's Direct podcast and answer the little question box that I put up a couple days before every podcast comes out. And who knows? You might end up uh, getting featured and getting a shout out on the podcast. Hey, sure you were uh, you were itching to do a little bit of singing, Dude, weren't you? I'm a theater kid at heart, you know. All this. those hours in the gym, you know, big manly muscles, and you're just a little artistic soul, just trying to burst forth through confetti. Just here I am, world. That's who you yeah, are, like a, right, like a quadruple threat. All right, let's let's not try to turn this into a compliment. It's it's not, dude. I already have. I was a theater icon growing up. Find me another Tin Man and Prince Eric understudy. Not a big deal. They could dunk a basketball. I like. It's not. Stop. You can't dunk a basketball. I've dunked a basketball, dude. That's so different than saying you can dunk. That's that means consistency. If you can dunk a basketball, it means you can do it every time. Yeah, but I've also had knee injuries. Yeah, and so did every other gym class hero. Oh, I could have went to the pros if it wasn't for this bum knee. Shut up. No, you shut up. No, you. No, you. Okay, that's it. Time out. What? Yeah, it's in your contract. <laughs> oh my god, I really should have read that thing, eh? Yep, back to the corner. This is ridiculous. I don't care. That's a you problem. I've got a guest to introduce here, man. So when I was thinking about topics that we haven't talked about yet on the podcast, honestly, I, I was kind of I was kind of stumped because I feel like we've talked about so many incredible topics. We've talked to so many incredible people. Um, and I guess I was just kind of at a, I, I was just kind of stumped mentally. I was just kind of like, oh, like I don't know what I'm going to do. And then just kind of out of the blue, as if the heavens opened up and just delivered me this perfect little life's direct gift, just kind of whoop, drop down. Can you, can you give me a little, uh, can you give me a little, ah, uh, you know? No. God, you're no fun. Uh, so like I was saying, I, I was looking for this inspiration. I didn't know what I was going to talk about or who I was going to talk to. And then I went and checked my DMs and there was a DM there from a man named Andrew Stokes. Uh, now, Andrew is a public speaker who talks about his struggles with addiction and he's a newfie. So obviously, you know, the maritime connection was there and I had to have him on the podcast. One of the biggest reasons I was so drawn to Andrew's story and I really was excited to talk to him was, you know, after we talked preliminary, we kind of had a phone call first. And, you know, hearing a story, I really thought about the fact that addiction doesn't get talked about hardly at all uh, in the mental health conversation because of the fact that so I find it so accusatory. It's why'd you do this? You were the one who tried this for the first time or you were the one blah, blah, blah. And I think it's one of those things that it's so under talked about and over stigmatized that I really wanted to try to bring it to light a little bit on the podcast because it's it, it's something that affects people from every walk of life, not just people who, who you know, are in severe active addiction and may, might have lost jobs because of addiction or lost homes or lost family members, anything like that. It can affect anybody from career professionals to, you know, athletes or anybody in between. Uh, and I think Andrew's just a really great example of that. So a bit of a backstory on Andrew. Andrew tried cocaine for the first time when he was 18 after he moved from Newfoundland to Toronto uh, for post-secondary and he had already been a regular drinker for a few years. Uh, after a few years of being in Toronto and using cocaine and alcohol to really enhance his party lifestyle, Andrew eventually recognized that there was a problem uh, and started down the path to recovery, which he's been on for nearly five years. Uh, his story, as I said, is just one that so many people have, but so many people choose and, and just don't feel comfortable to talk about. He's an incredible individual, and, and I'm absolutely honored to have him on the podcast. Without further ado, Andrew, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you doing? Uh, 
Um, I'm doing great, man. Uh, at this moment, <laughs> it changes at the at the drop of a hat. But no, uh, I've been pretty good recently. I was saying to my friend last night, though, I'm like, I'm like getting anxiety over the winter depression hitting, mm, even yeah. though it's not here yet. I just know it's coming, and I'm just like waiting for it to hit. I feel that, man. No, honestly, so, like when once things start to get a little bit darker earlier, that's like that's when everything starts to set into me, and I definitely get that like lethargic, just kind of like, oh, really, we're, we're doing this I'm again. Such a napper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, and that's the thing is, I'm never a napper. Like, I I can't nap, but I just for the like the entire day, I just kind of feel just like that blech. Yeah, yeah. Oh, now I am a a napper to the core. Yeah. Even if I'm in a great mood, I'm having a nap. See, I never got naps. Naps make me feel terrible. Like when I wake up from that, naps, I I I get that kind of like complete like I I don't know if it's like mental fog. Or what yeah, I yeah. what I'd consider it, but yeah, I just I feel like even my stomach kind of feels off when I nap. Yeah, it takes a minute to come out of it. Like some days I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, what what? Day yeah, is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's people. That, that's a regular. People who can power nap before like going out and stuff don't understand. Oh, see, I even when I was a, a goer out or a lot, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, yeah. I used to, <laughs> I used to have an I used to make sure I had a nap before I went out so I could last the whole night. Yeah. Well, and, I mean. Yeah, good. Yeah. Well, good for you, I guess, for getting that little bit of sleep in there first. Yeah, yeah. It's like that one step forward, two steps back, I guess. A hundred steps back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, like, let's let's get into that because that's what we're uh, that's what we're going to be chatting about today. Um, you know, for for those viewers who aren't familiar with your story, you have had uh, some struggles with addiction throughout your life, uh, and it has kind of become a large part of of who you are now. Your sobriety, your Cali Cali sobriety. Um, yeah. And uh, and yeah, so I, I kind of want to jump into it because this conversation is one that. I find super interesting because we talk about mental health now so often um, and even like things like men's mental health is becoming more more of a, a, a prominent conversation. But I find that a lot of the times we don't really talk about addiction when we talk about mental health. Um, it kind of seems like its own topic yeah. and it doesn't really get the necessarily, I think, limelight that it needs. Um, and so I would love to kind of get into your story, but, uh, you know, kind of just jumping right into it. Like when, at what point did you know that you were kind of like looking and assessing your situation? You're like, this is a problem. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first time that I realized it was probably like the day that I actually committed to getting sober. Mm. Um, but everyone in my, in my life knew before I did, and they made it known to me that they thought I had a problem, but in my mind, I did not. Um, but it wasn't until I hit that, like the rock bottom of rock bottoms that I really was like, okay, this is a problem. I need to do something about it or else my life is going to go down the shitter. Um, so yeah, like it was a, it was a slow process. Um, like my family definitely planted the seed about a year before I actually put in the work and, and got sober. Um, but for me, it wasn't until I felt like I was actually going to die that I realized that I had a problem. Maybe yeah. I knew in the back of my mind, but didn't accept it because mm. that's a big thing. Like with sobriety and, and like with with having an addiction, it's like everyone else sees it but 
and you may see it, but it takes a long time to accept yeah. and really come to the conclusion like, oh God, I can never drink again. Right. That's a huge commitment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Especially for someone who's been like, you know, alcohol and, and my drug of choice, which was cocaine. They were a huge part of my life for like five solid years. Yeah. So it was like a terrible breakup. You know, I went through all the phases. Yeah. I went through all those, like, like the, the grieving process when I, when I broke up with alcohol, it was, uh, it was definitely a a journey to get, to get to the acceptance part. Yeah. Well, let's get into that journey because it's a, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, kind of give me a bit of a backstory on kind of like what it was like growing up and kind of when all the partying started and, and kind of like that part of your life. Yeah. Um, so just to give you like a little bit of context as to who I am, I'm from Newfoundland. My, I grew up in Newfoundland, which is the love East it. Coast of Canada. You're in the East Coast, so you get it. Beautiful little maritimes. Um, I love it. Yes. Uh, and I mean, and my next comment probably makes sense in, in New Brunswick and Halifax and everything too. Like growing up in Newfoundland, drinking was like a huge part of the culture. Yeah. And it was just something that was, it was super just like when I turned 13, it was like, okay, I'm going to go splits on a half case. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know? So I started drinking when I was like 13 and then like it, it just went up from there. Like, yeah, starting out really, really like light. Um, And then probably by like grade nine, I had developed a good tolerance for that Mm -hmm. age, which is, you know, early. Yeah. 16. Yeah. So I started drinking like on the regular on the weekends, uh, started going out to clubs when I was 17, uh, down on George Street. Good old George around. Street. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it all started there, but it was never a problem for me when mm-hmm. I was when I was growing up. Um, but then I moved to Halifax and I went to school there. And it was right after I came out of the closet, which I think maybe was like my first traumatic experience as a young adult like having to you know tell your whole family and all your friends and then move away two weeks later um that said it was obviously like a huge weight lifted off my shoulders and made me blossom when I moved away but when I got to Halifax it was like I had just opened up this new can of worms I was thrown into to the nightlife culture in Halifax uh just through like people I had met and that's kind of where it all started it was where I started drinking like heavy, heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's where I tried Coke. And mm-hmm. from there, um, I stayed there for two years and then moved to Toronto. And I was 20 and I had never been to Toronto. Yeah. So the typical maritime a, story. Uh, it was like a culture shock too. Absolutely. To a degree. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the city chewed me up and spit me out. I, uh, I went hard. I met some people who were like into like the nightclub scene here and it's really, really fun. (laughs) Well, it was at the time. Right. Uh, it was like a, it was a big thing here and I started going out like four or five times a week and then eventually seven nights a week. And yeah, that's where it became a problem Mm -hmm. looking back on it. I didn't think I had a problem at that time, but looking back on it, that's kind of where it all started. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I essentially, I had, I had a good relationship. I had a career, um, but it all came crashing down. And it was a result of me like going out every night, being late for work, uh, not putting in the attention to my relationship that I should have been. Um, that said, like my partner at the time, we were both party boys. So we didn't help each other either. Um, 
and then I moved home to Newfoundland because I felt like I had no other choice. Um, that's when I always describe that it got dark. It started to get dark when I went home because up until that point, it was super, super fun. I was, I was having a lot of fun. But once I got home and I was depressed because I was home mm-hmm. and I felt like I had just like failed at everything. Yeah. I started drinking for the wrong reasons and I started doing drugs for the wrong reasons. And it was just like, I was drinking to get drunk and I was right. seeing how far mm. I could take it without, you know, like actually like overdosing. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Um, over the next like year, year and a half, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse um, to a point where it was like every time I got drunk, I truly hated myself. Like I mm. hated myself. And uh, yeah, my next rock bottom was probably the darkest that I had gone. And that was when I, uh, you know, I got to a suicidal place. Like mm. I, I really didn't want to live anymore. I felt like pretty much everything that I had done was just a failure up to that point. Um, And yeah, it was about that time that my parents decided that I should probably go to AA or NA. Um, So I started going, started going at that point, but I wasn't really listening at all. Um, And I was just kind of going because I was forced to. Yeah. So I relapsed about eight times that year, which is a lot um and each time i relapse i got worse and worse and worse mm. so finally i go back to that day that i was telling you that i, I felt like i was going to die yeah um, yeah well i mean that I, was like- i'd love to hear you know kind of that story again because you know we had talked about it on the phone a little bit but that's such a you know that whole day is so impactful in your story i mean i'd love if you'd share that with uh the listeners yeah 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 so this was on uh may 25th 2016 I had come I was coming down from a three-day bender Um, I was on my parents couch in the basement and my heart was just like going out of control it was felt like it was going to burst out of my chest I was getting really overheated the anxiety was just unbearable and of course shame the shame and guilt that was coming over me it like it was just an influx of emotions and physical uh feelings which I had never really felt up to Mm -hmm. that point like it was I felt it and I remember lying there and just like looking up at the sky up at the ceiling and being like this could like this could be it I like am I dying yeah I wasn't that's (laughs) a scary thing Um, to have go through your head like oh my god is this the day yeah it scared the shit out of me yeah Yeah, it scared the shit out of me um but like the only way I can describe it is like there was like a light bulb that went off in my head and it was just like something switched in the way that I was thinking about it. And ever since that day, I hadn't had a drink. I hadn't done any drugs aside from marijuana, mm-hmm. cannabis, um, which, I, which I'm happy to talk about too. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a turning point for me that day. Yeah. And it's going to be a, a milestone for me every, every year now. I look forward to that day. <laughs> Absolutely. You should. That's a, that's a huge yeah. accomplishment. I mean, I'm curious because I think one of the things that um, is an aspect of addiction that 
I think don't, a lot of people just don't necessarily talk about is kind of just like why you started drinking, why you started to party in excess, like you kind of like you, you know, in your own words said that you did, um, because I feel like a lot of people just kind of say like, oh, yeah, it was just kind of there. It was like this thing. It made me feel good. But it's like, why did you need to feel good? Like, what was kind of like that? What was that thing in your life that you just like need like you couldn't necessarily face that head on thing? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And it's something I ask myself all the time. And I mm. and I, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like what made me go there? Um yeah. I think it was a combination of things for sure. Like number one being that I, I went through a bunch of things in a very condensed amount of time uh when I was eighteen. So I came out, I had a really bad experience, uh, which I which I won't get into right now, but I got had a bad experience. I moved away. And then I was like, kind of just thrown into a relationship that I, uh, that was, that was tricky. It was turbulent and, uh, it was my first time really going through a relationship. Um, so it was just like a bunch of different things that happened one thing after the other, after the other. And I had never, ever dealt with them until now. And and when I say now, I mean like a couple of months ago, I actually started like working through some stuff that happened to me in my past, but. I think that it was a combination of, of multiple things that got me to the point where I felt as though I needed to self-medicate to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I also really just loved it. I had a lot of fun partying. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think I, at first I was more addicted to the nightclub, to the night, to the mm. nightlife than I was to the actual substances. Right. And then over time, of course, the substances will take over because that's what they do. Right. Yeah. What What was it about the nightlife that you yeah. love so much? Because I mean, I've been I've been to Halifax. I've been to Toronto. I lived in Toronto for the past four years. Um, you know, yeah. as a kid who comes from the Maritimes, you know, similar to yourself, small town. Uh, it, it's one of those things that it is intoxicating in a way because you see it's like this. Yeah. The, you know, the bright lights, the culture. There's like so much there that just kind of like. I feel like, and for, for curious minds, like I feel like a lot of Maritimers are, you know, love to tell stories, love to meet people, very kind of like curious people. It, it's interesting because you can go from like one person to another, to another, to another. So I'm kind of curious about what was so intoxicating for you. What aspects um, kind of just got you so hooked? The music was like one big thing. I got really into like dance music, EDM, trance, techno, all that stuff. So that So that was a huge part. Mm-hmm. um the people the people like you meet some characters oh absolutely <laughs> in in the nightclub life and they're some of the funnest characters you'll ever meet um because that's what they do you know they yeah. are, they get paid to party um that was a huge draw and then of course like you know just being able to go out and just let loose mm-hmm. and just let like dance like nothing mattered at all and i did that <laughs> went from like one night a week to two nights a week, three nights a week. And then right. eventually it was like seven nights a week, just like, oons, oons, oons. <laughs> yeah, is, you know, well, not healthy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. There's definitely, what, what do you find is a healthy balance? Because it's one of those things that when you're a young kid, uh, you know, you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and you're kind of like experiencing things for the first time, you're going to be just naturally curious. You're going to want to try new things. Um, you know, from the experiences that you've had, what do you think yeah. is a, is, is a healthy, 
lifestyle and mix of kind of that, you know, you might be trying things that are dangerous and, and what have you, um, but you're, you're probably still going to try them because you are, you're, you're curious. So, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I want to know in your words, kind of what, uh, what a healthy lifestyle you think looks like in that scene, I guess. Um, it's a, it's a tricky question. Cause I think that alcohol and substances kind of, uh, affect different people in different ways mm-hmm. and people have different like thresholds and stuff like that. So I always say like, there's no right or wrong answer to that question. What I would say is that I think that it's important for people to monitor themselves and check in with themselves. And, and, you know, like really like, instead of just like breezing past it, think about the night before and think about how much you drank or how much blow you did or whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you did and ask yourself if that is healthy. Mm nine chances out of 10, like, depending on how far people go with it. Um, it, it can vary. I mean, I'm sure most people have had their days or their hangovers, <laughs> where they knew that they drank too much, right? Of course. Right. But once it becomes like a, a pattern, and it's mm. something that you're doing constantly, and you find yourself in this depressive state. Yeah. And when it becomes not so fun anymore that's when I say that it's probably a problem. Mm -hmm. What did your, you you kind of talked to, you touched on a little bit earlier about going through and like finding yourself in really dark, tough times um, because of the, because of like your lifestyle. Like what, what did those tough times look like? Because obviously tough times are different for everybody, but because of like what you were doing and, and I'm guessing the physical strain that was put being put on your body, uh, you know, kind of just what were the dark times like? If you don't mind going into it. Of yeah, course. Um, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, they weren't fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. F- uh, fair enough. Yeah, no, I mean, like, those are the days where you stay in bed all day long. And the anxiety that you get, and it's a different type of anxiety than, like, normal anxiety that I have on the regular anyway. But it's almost like, the best way to describe it is, like, you're you're vibrating. Mm. You know, like the next day when you wake up, you're kind of still vibrating from the night before and you can't catch your breath. And mm. um, then there's the emotional and mental side of it, which is even harder than the physical stuff, because I used to wake up and have and not be able to remember a lot of the night. Yeah. And then you're starting to think about it and be like, oh, God, what did I do? Mm. Or what did I say to this person? Or what does this person think of me? And that's when it all starts to spin. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think honestly the the mental aspect and like the depression that you feel the next day was something that was way, way more tough than the physical aspect for sure. I think that, that that's, I'd say that that's one of those things that like, yeah, yeah. Even like, you know, I'll talk from personal experience, like those nights that you do go out with your friends and um, you have like a crazy night or whatever, and you wake up the next morning. Like I know with me, with my OCD and my anxiety, I, I always jump to the worst conclusion of like, I probably made a fool of myself. I probably like, you know, did something that just is so like unflattering and out of character. Um, And it's a, and it's a, tough thing to even just kind of like in those days when and your friends like no no no, it's fine it's fine but like you still get that feeling of like oh it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to not to know that i had no control and that i was just completely 
out of it, I guess. Um, yeah, that would yeah. take it. That would take a lot of toll mentally if you're doing that seven times a week. Well, yeah, that's the thing because like you're you're living in that state twenty four seven. Yeah. Unless you're unless you're drunk or unless or unless you're under the influence of something, mm-hmm. you you feel that, and then it gets to a point where you're just chasing that away. So yeah. in order to get rid of that feeling, the only option is to do it again. Mm. Interesting. You know. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then by the third day, by the third day, you wake up and it's like you got three days worth guilt built up. Right. So it, it's a tough pill to swallow when it when it gets repetitive and it becomes a pattern like that. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, and then then you have the people that are like watching too, mm. which uh, that's that's tough too. Like when you hear from somebody like one of your loved ones that you were an absolute mess and that you need help. Yeah, um, that's not easy to hear. No. And for somebody who's in active addiction and inactive alcoholism, like when you're in the thick of it, that hearing that, uh, it, I don't think it helps. It didn't help me. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you're almost feeling like you, like, like your inner thoughts are being validated mm, by some, right. by the people that you love the most. Why, why do you think that, was like i mean why why did that kind of not have as much of an effect i guess you know hearing it from family and stuff um i think that at the time well one thing i'll say about myself when i was in the thick of everything was that i was a completely different person so like i actually a couple of weeks ago i was preparing for another conversation i was having and i was trying to remember like what I was like in active addiction, but of course Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't remember much. Um, So I asked my mom and she said that I was very secretive. I was hiding things all the time. Uh, I was a liar. I was a flat out liar. Even things that I didn't need to lie about. I lied about Mm -hmm. because I was so used to doing it. Yep. Yeah. Um, My family was always looking for me. I would just not come home or I wouldn't call. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I was, the, I was a polar opposite of who I normally am, which is like me now or me before. Mm-hmm. And uh, that person is like, you know, outgoing, confident, loving, has lots of empathy, you know, compassionate, loves my mom yeah, <laughs> with all my yeah. heart and soul. So it's like to see that, like that contrast between the two personalities um yeah like that that was that was huge for me like at that point I didn't really have any remorse Mm -hmm. at all I didn't feel guilty about you know going missing from my mom until the next day when I sobered up and then then I would feel the guilt yeah 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 and that and it always just comes crashing down a 10 times worse Yeah. yeah yeah totally um why why is it do you think and i'm and i kind of i feel like i know the answer to this one so i feel like i'm kind of asking a bit of a null question but like why why is it that people have such a tough time admitting that there's an issue with their lifestyle or or kind of saying like hey this probably isn't healthy like i understand that a lot of people want like they don't want to say that they're a bad person and they don't want to kind of be like lumped into this like group of like oh i'm suffering with an addiction so i must be a bad person and then like people are kind of saying it and it makes you just feel shitty but you know at the same time like there is there must be some level of accountability that's just kind of hard to face yeah 
I mean, like it comes down to acceptance again, accepting Mm. that you can never drink again. Right. Because there's no such thing as like, when you're in that far, as far as I was, there's no such thing as just having one or two, because Mm. I tried that so many times. And I, and I, I discovered through trial and error that it's just not possible because Mm -hmm. I would have one pint and I would be on the phone with my drug dealer. Right. It was, it was just because I had married those two substances together so tightly that I couldn't have one without the other. Mm. So, you know, I think like coming, like admitting to yourself and to other people that you have a problem is the biggest step. And Mm -hmm. I think it's so hard for people to do that because of the stigma. There is a stigma attached to it. Right. Um, You know, when you think of an addict, you think of the worst case scenario and you think of somebody on the street and who's not looking too good and is like at, at, at the depths of their dismay, you know, but in reality, addicts come in all shapes, sizes, forms, like, you know, they're teachers, they're, they're janitors, they're producers like myself, you know, they're, they're people from all different walks of life. Mm-hmm. And addiction is a disease of the mind, you know, it, it really is. Um, and I think that over time, and this is a conversation that's been ha- being had more and more now, is that it, it, exactly that, that people who struggle with substances aren't what you think they are. Yeah. And I think it's becoming more and more accepted. But again, it all boils down to just people speaking out and making people aware that uh, it affects a lot of people, a yeah. lot of people. Hey, yeah. I, I, w- I was at university. I just graduated. Like I saw people who, you know, it was like, oh yeah, they love to party. And then you were kind of like, you think about it like in hindsight and you're like, they love to party a lot. And you're kind of just a like, lot. yeah, a <laughs> yeah. lot. And you're like, hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it is a tricky thing. I mean, I'm, I would love to hear about the recovery process because I know that a lot of people, um, and, and I'll include myself in this, uh, when they set goals for themselves, um, when it comes to whether they, they say, oh, I'm kind of recognizing that this is an unhealthy pattern that I find myself somewhat stuck in. Um, and I don't want to do this anymore. And then you kind of have like, you like a relapse essentially. Right. Um, you know, that for a lot of people can, I'm, 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 imagining can be such a demoralizing thing to be like okay i finally admit i have a problem i'm finally on the right track i'm gonna i'm gonna go sober and then all of a sudden it's like like you said one beer on the phone with the drug dealer um you know walk me through that process and kind of just like what the mentality was like and and kind of just how you continued um to to get sober relapse get sober um and just i i guess that whole world of of recovery yeah um so a huge thing that helped me out at the very beginning was, and even into my like second, third year was AA. So mm-hmm. I started going to AA <clears throat> and through that program, you learn about relapse. It's probably one of the first things that's talked about is that, you know, relapse is normal. It happens to most people. It's not, it's not, it's not every day that you, it clicks for the first person that walks in. It's like, Oh, I'm going to try this and I'm sober now. Like it's, it's a process. It takes time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that helped. Number two would be my family. My family was really involved in my recovery. Mm -hmm. So whenever I did relapse, they kind of put me on the right track, you know, Andrew, you made it to 
two weeks, you can do it, you can do it. Or Andrew, you made it to a month, you can do it, you can do it. And each time that I relapsed, it was like I was just trying to beat my last score. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's a good way of looking at it. But that's I mean, the way that I looked at it. Um, yeah. It's it really just comes down to like putting in the work and mm. and going to these meetings. Even now, like even though I don't go to AA anymore, and I and I have a whole different way that I work my recovery now. Um, anybody that's coming in like just just getting on the recovery train i always say to go to aa Mm -hmm. and do as many meetings as you can within your first 30 days to get yourself in the rhythm and to start like speaking the language and understanding the process behind recovery because it is a process Mm -hmm. um and it's something that you have to work on every day for the rest of your life yeah you know so once once you accept that the first thing is accepting you can never drink again. The second thing is accepting that you, it's not going to happen overnight and it is going to take time. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is like, you got to get past all of the emotional, it, like essentially what happens is once you're sober for a little while, you just get an influx of emotions because for it's for the first time in so long mm-hmm. since like, you know, when you first started in active addiction, you're starting to feel things mm. and you feel the good, the bad, Damn, and the ugly. Yeah. yeah. So there's that part too, which is, uh, it's interesting and it's it in its own It sounds overwhelming. Yeah. But also it's kind of beautiful too, because, you know, you, you spend so much time numbing all of that, even the good stuff mm. that you forget how it feels. You, you know, you forget what happiness feels like, mm. or you forget what's what true, like, sadness feels like or empathy you know like the the day-to-day emotions that you kind of just like blocked out through yeah substances yeah geez i can't imagine i i think that's one of those things that you know as somebody who you know pretty actively um you know is involved with anxiety and ocd and that kind of stuff like emotional stuff is mm-hmm. stuff that's always running through my head you know it's I, i'm hyper aware of emotions um and yeah. so, so to have that kind of deprived for a prolonged period of time and then kind of all rush back in at once. Um, yeah, yeah, it would be, a, it would definitely be a, a beautiful thing an overwhelmingly beautiful thing. Um, but yeah. yeah, nonetheless, I mean, that's a, that's obviously like a pretty, it must be like a nice kind of stage in the recovery where you're like, oh, all right, I'm on the right track. Yeah. I'm human. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Look at this. Yeah. I have feelings. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, like for me, the first year of my recovery, I like, it's really foggy. It's it's still mm. foggy because, you know, that's the year that I was like learning how to live again. Essentially, it, like it's the easiest way to put it. Like you kind of had to learn how to do everything over mm. social, social things. I couldn't do anything social without drugs or alcohol for however long. And it took me a good year before I could go out into a, like a, a bar setting and enjoy myself mm-hmm. um some people it takes longer and that's okay um yeah i mean everything everything down to like conversations with your family you know how like you go from being this in your mind a disappointment right to you know like you're starting to rebuild your relationships as this new person mm-hmm. and it, it's great and it's uh it's scary and it's emotional and uh, it's amazing. You know, I, mm-hmm. like, 
I can't describe it better yeah. than that. <laughs> no, that, <laughs> if that makes sense at all. That that's a great way of putting it. Um, how how large of a role did environment play in your recovery? Mm. For me, it, it was it was a pretty large role. I mean, yeah. um, I it's funny. I got sober and then I started bartending right away. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I was bartending when I moved home to Newfoundland. I, uh, I was bartending and waitering, waitering, serving, um, for the whole time I was in active addiction. And okay. then, yeah. So, and then once I got sober, I started a new job at a new restaurant and, uh, went right to work. So for me being around booze, wasn't as much of an issue really? as I thought it would be. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, it's obviously, from the outside bizarre. looking in, I'd think that that would be a problem. Yeah. And I mean, I like I hesitated, but mm -hmm. I needed to make money and there was no like I didn't want to go work in the mall. Right. <laughs> uh, I wanted to make I wanted to make the cheddar. So yeah, I, I yeah. went back to bartending with this new mindset, you know, drive to work, make sure I had my car so that I wouldn't even be tempted to drink. Mm. So I drove. I made like little things like that, you know, driving trying to work day shifts as much as I could, um, things like that. But I am really thankful that I did that because it kind of made me uh, be able to tolerate drinking and drunk people <laughs> much earlier in my recovery than, than most people do. Right. That makes sense. I get that. So, yeah, environment. But then when it came to like my social life and like my me time. Yeah, I was going to ask about I, your friend groups as well. Friend groups, I rearranged my friend groups a lot. Uh, I mean, I stuck, stuck, uh, I stayed friends with a lot of people, but at a much like at, at a completely different capacity. Mm -hmm. So like going for lunch or going to a movie or, su or stuff like that. Like I wouldn't right. go out and sit down with my party friends at a bar and and have a, a soda water yeah until yeah, yeah. like a year and a half in right right now i do and i can go out and t i can go to a nightclub now and i'm totally fine but that mm -hmm. took a lot of work and uh time time mm -hmm. and patience um i became really good friends with myself you know i got used to being alone nice. yeah that's and a good I, feeling and, you eh? know i and now I love it. Like I love sitting down, you know, chilling by myself. I got a dog now, a new dog. So, uh, I've no, yeah, nice I've seen I've seen him on Instagram. He's absolutely adorable. Yeah, I can't stop posting pictures. I'm like a crazy dog dad. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, like it's it's little things like that. I think uh, over time, once I got used to like being by myself and chilling alone and watching Grey's Anatomy, things got uh, things got better. From there. Nice, nice. Did, did you ever yeah. find that you and I, I've heard this, and obviously I have no, you know, I have no active experience to speak from. Um, however, I've heard from other people, uh, just kind of in passing, and friends and that kind of stuff, who have kind of dealt with their own uh, their own substance issues and that kind of stuff. That sometimes people kind of tend to trade one addiction for another. Uh, whether it's like, you know, you give up cocaine or alcohol and now all of a sudden you're addicted to whether it's another kind of drug or whether it's like something as, as out of the left field as knitting. Um, you know, do yeah. you feel, do you feel like you've kind of had those moments or anything, or was it one of those things that even though you were an addict, you didn't really have an addictive personality, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there's like little things. Like I was almost like I was on a hunt to see what I could get into next mm. <laughs> and like 
yeah, I was like really bad with like binging TV shows for sure. Like Grey's Anatomy, I will say the first year of my sobriety, I literally sat down and watched like 15 seasons of Grey's Anatomy, you know, <laughs> shit like that. Sounds like hell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I loved it. It was great. You know, lots of crying going on. Uh, today. Of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, I could cry at the, at the drop of a needle, like at that point. And I, I let's, who am I kidding? I still can. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was one thing. One other thing that I'll say is like, I used uh, cannabis through my whole journey. Yep. And at first, I will say that it was more of a crutch. So like, it was almost like I used it so that I would stay home because mm. it was the one thing that would cure my boredom because boredom was like the biggest side effect of sobriety ever. Right. Because I was so used to being the social person, like going out all the time. Yeah. Every night had something to do, whether right. it was like going out for dinner or, um, you know, obviously going out and getting drunk. <laughs> dinner would lead into after dinner and blah, blah, blah. Dinner so, then drinks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I, going from one extreme to the other was really tough. Mm -hmm. And cannabis helped me through that. Um, over time, like I've obviously like reduced the amount of cannabis I smoke, but mm -hmm. I still do to this day. And like the way I explain it to people is like, you know, in AA or NA or in any of the, like the basic programs like that, they will, they would frown upon that. But mm. there is a community of people who have uh, used cannabis through recovery and it's helped them. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I just like to say that, it, you know, it's different for everybody. And uh, it really comes down to understanding yourself. So right. with me, uh, I knew that my problem was with alcohol and cocaine mm -hmm. because I had dabbled in pretty much everything else too, um, just over the years, but I had yeah. never really experienced any sort of dependency. Mm -hmm. But when it came to alcohol specifically, like, you know, I couldn't really go a day without having a drink or two. Mm -hmm. um, same, well, cocaine, the minute I'd have a drink, I would want that. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a tricky subject to, to chat about, but I think it's important too, because it, it just goes to show that, you know, it is different for everybody. And I wouldn't yeah. want to like suggest it to somebody because, you know, maybe that person would become more dependent on cannabis than the next person, mm -hmm. but it worked for me. And that's my experience. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it did help me through it. I wouldn't say that I traded in, one addiction for another because I, I definitely wasn't addicted to cannabis. Like it was just used right. to like keep me home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a tool. <laughs> yeah. It was a tool. Um, but yeah, I mean, little things, TV was my big thing. I got like crazy hooked on TV well, and Doritos. Oh, okay. Interesting. I mean, yeah. cannabis, Grey's Anatomy and Doritos. I feel like that's kind of like a starter pack for, it, you know, it truly is. It truly yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, it's like I, a snow day starter pack. Exactly. <laughs> every day, exactly. Every day was a snow day for me in early <laughs> Probably felt like that a little bit. Yeah, it did. It felt like Groundhog Day to a degree. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, is there is there any validity to uh, addictive personalities? Like, is that I, I, that term? I feel like it's thrown around a lot, and yeah. you know, I don't necessarily know what space it takes up within, um, you know, the lives of people who who are in active addiction or in recovery. Um, but you know, I, I would just love to get your take on kind of like what it means to have an addictive personality, or if that's even a real thing. 
Um, yeah, I think it is. I think it's definitely a real thing. And I think that uh, addiction in itself is more of like a spectrum. It's not just like cut and paste and it's not one way or the other. 100%, yeah. I think that different people, everybody, everybody's experience is going to be different. So, so like you could be like fully, uh, you know, addicted to alcohol, but never even had any issues with cocaine mm-hmm. or vice versa, or you could be on the other end of that spectrum. And no matter what you put in your body, all you want is more. Right. Yeah. Right. And then it can come down to like, you know, addictive personalities can get in, like it comes down to like gambling. Sex, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, like there's so many different things that people can get addicted to. And I have met people in my life through recovery and through the rooms that, you know, that's the way it is for them. They mm. can't touch anything. Damn, and yeah. It, again, it comes down to like being aware and like self-aware um, and like really monitoring yourself and, and understanding yourself before making any decisions on yeah. what you want to do. Um, do you still, I mean, and this is like, I guess a, a one part or two, a two part question. Um, do you still get uh, kind of like urges now during your recovery stage, like at this point with where you're at to be like, there's like a little part of you that's just like, oh, just just it's just a drink just a line like is there is there that at all or is that voice completely been silenced do you feel it's been silenced nice and yeah i mean i like you could have asked me that a year ago to two years ago and i probably would have said it's still there Mm. but i think honestly the like over the last year specifically like 2020 it's kind of just opened my eyes to a lot more than uh, i had seen before so like Mm -hmm. I think that's, it goes for a lot. It's the same for a lot of people. Like this year has like done something to people. Yeah. And they see, they see things in a whole new light. Um, And I think that's why I've started just like talking about it mm-hmm. and not having any shame about anything. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, you shouldn't. So, yeah. I think successfully I can say right now that no, there isn't a voice in the back of my head. That's great. Um, I love to hear I'll that. Say, I'll say sometimes like, Halloween, for instance, mm-hmm. I'll miss the party, right? But I don't miss uh, the effect that alcohol or drugs had on me, for sure. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, the the second part to that question was in those earlier stages uh, when that voice was still there. Um, how did you tell it no? Hmm. Good question. Um, Number one was going to a meeting and talking about it, you know, Mm -hmm. vocalizing it or even going to my sister or my mom and just being like, I'm having a bad day. Yeah. You know, Um, that's that's the best thing that I can recommend is like, just talk about it. Tell somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, and in AA and NA and all those communities, um, the, the, the support system is there. So right. use it, you know, um, for, for like a long time, I didn't use it. And I relied on just like chilling and, and just getting through it, like literally just biting, like clenching my jaw and getting through the, through the, um, through the craving. Yeah. But once I started actually like participating in the meetings and, and, you know, speaking what was on my mind with people that I loved, it got a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like honestly my only real big piece of advice when it comes to cravings is like talk about it Mm -hmm. it's the best thing that you can do you just answered the third part of the question which was just going to be you know what advice would you have to people who are kind of dealing with that voice 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the best thing, yeah, talk about it as much as you possibly can. Annoy people with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. Another thing, too, that I did a lot of in my early recovery and is also really helpful now is that I journaled a lot. Okay, interesting. And I find it useful now because if I'm ever having like a shitty day, just in general, mm-hmm. I go back and read that journal from 2015, 2016. Nice. And I'm yeah. like, man, things were a hell of a lot harder then. Yeah, for real. So it can kind of get me through any 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 shitty situation because those were my toughest, toughest days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being able to read that and what I was feeling that day or those days, uh, it puts a lot into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Along your journey, have you had, I guess, time to be proud of yourself for everything that you've kind of overcame? Um, yes. I mean, now I, like, I think, I think this year has, has got, I've gotten there. I've gotten to the point where I'm like, holy shit, dude, you know, you've made it. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Fuck yeah. It's been four and a half years. It's almost five. Like that's my, a big milestone for me is in, in, in May, it'll be five years, which is, is crazy because time flew by. Mm-hmm. It was like, I, bl- I blinked my eye and one, one day I was 25 and then I'm 30. <laughs> it's just <Right>. like, oh. <laughs> um, but it, it's a good thing. You know, a lot of people uh, don't get there at such a young age. And I yeah. think that's another reason why I want to speak about it and talk to people who, whoever's listening and maybe needs that extra push is like, I did it when I was 25 years old and I'm so happy now, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm at, I'm in a point, I'm at a point now where I'm so confident in my sobriety and I, it doesn't affect me in the ways that it used to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm, I'm in a place now where I can go out and enjoy myself, but I'm also in a place where I can stay home and enjoy myself just as much. Right. Right. Um, Money. Yeah. Money. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, you don't realize how much you were spending on it until you stop. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge thing that just kept me sober too. It's like, holy shit, no, I'm not going out and spending 200 bucks to to get wasted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I'd rather, you know, like buy myself a pair of Bluntstones or something like that. Like, there you go. Yeah. It, see, one night out. Uh, that's the thing I was always going to say is it's so funny when you put it into perspective that way, because it's yeah. like, you'll, you'll go out and literally, I mean, I remember my university days, you'd go out, which sounds so weird to say, um, remember my good old university days. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you'd go to the bar and you drop, you know, you go to the ATM or whatever, and you take out 80 bucks and you drop it like it's nothing. And then yeah. it's like, but then it's like, you know, you go out for, you know, you're like, oh, I have to go buy a t-shirt and you're like, oh, $20. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a lot. Yeah. But then you're like, you don't even blink twice when you're going to drop a hundred dollars on going out and getting, getting all messed up. Yeah. Like that, that's something that's, it's, it boggles my mind that I'd never, ever put two and two together. And yeah. I'm still that way about a t-shirt, you know, like I, oh, still, absolutely. Won't, I still won't drop money on a t-shirt, but I'll go out to the keg and I'll eat like a, a king. hundred percent. And my and the, this is another huge plus to the sobriety thing is like you go out for dinner, you're not thinking about like what you're gonna get. You get whatever the hell you want because your bill's gonna be half of what it used to be anyway. It's a good point. It's a real good point. Yeah. So steaks all around, man. 
Yeah, there you go. There's that's what you're that's what you're going for at the end. Yeah. Snakes all yeah. around. Yeah. I love it. Um, as as we're coming down to the end of uh, the interview, and, and first of all, I mean, thank you for for everything that you've shared today. It is definitely such an interesting perspective. I'm happy. I feel much more um, educated on the topic of of addiction and that kind of stuff. So from my standpoint, I mean, I thank you, and I know my listeners benefit from it as well. Um, the last thing that I like to do, any guest that I have on uh, is put a challenge forth, um, something that, that my listeners can, uh, adopt into their days, their weeks, their months, their, just their entire lives. Um, just something that can just make them live happier, healthier lives. Um, so it can be about, uh, you know, handling addiction. It can just be about life in general, just a challenge that you'd put forth, something that's helped you live a better life. Yeah, that's a that's that's awesome that you do that. A, um, B, my thing that I do every day is like before I put my feet on the ground, <clears throat> I lay there and just think about things I'm, that I should be thankful for. Mm. You know, gratitude goes a long way, and when you sit there and you before like as soon as you open your eyes and you think about like, okay, I have this, I have this, I have this, and this. Mm-hmm. Those things keep me happy, and I'm so thankful for them. You know, it just gets your foot, like it gets your day started on such a good foot. And yeah. I think, uh, I think that's a huge benefit for anybody, regardless of your mental state. It's just something that it's great to, to adopt into your daily routine. Yeah, I love that. I think that starting your morning off on a note like that is is such a crucial part to mental health. Um, I know with me personally, I started reading and stretching before I do anything else. Yeah. Like wake out of bed, read for 45 minutes and then do my 15 minutes of stretching before I start my day. It doesn't matter what day it is. And honestly, it's just like it, having a morning routine and doing something small like that. Gratitude, being thoughtful, reading, stimulating the mind is, is immensely important. I love that challenge. That's great. Yeah, no, that's great. Good stuff, man. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you being on. Uh, and uh, yeah, this has been just a blast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. And it's, it's so cool. I, I listen to your podcast all the time. And just like the way that you talk about mental health, it's it's just, it's light. You know, it's it's not as, it, it's not as like somber as, as what you hear on other podcasts. So thank you for doing that and making it such like a, a like a pleasant conversation and something. To I appreciate to that, about. man. Thank you. Yeah. That really means a lot. I, I really do appreciate that. It's definitely what we're, what we're trying to do. So well, you're um, doing it. You're killing it, man. Guys, I want to thank Andrew for sharing his experience on the podcast today. Um, yeah, coming on and really bringing you know light to a conversation. I don't think we talk about enough. All right, thanks for chiming in. You're officially reinstated back to the mic. Oh yeah, no, funny how this happens. You know, you you wouldn't be anything without me, but here I am. Um, you know, like I was saying, like Andrew brought you know the, this human touch to a, the topic of addiction. Um, you know, it's hard not to point out, which is you know you would know if you were a better <laughs> better host. <laughs> Sorry, pardon? No, nothing. Just keep going. You're doing a great job, man. You're doing great. Well, I think, you know, that Andrew's such a perfect person to to have this conversation with because I think a lot of the time people are like, oh, you know, you're an addict. Oh, like you must be like homeless or like, you know, like from like a shitty home situation or something like that. But Andrew is a good looking, smart, well-educated, came from a great family and yet still struggled with addiction. No, man, honestly, it's true. Like, like, you know, from CEOs to like the fucking lady down the street who bakes like the world's best cookies like anyone can be an addict yeah no for real like anyone can be an addict and we need to further that conversation 
Um, you know, speaking of furthering the conversation, guys, if you guys want to keep this conversation going, you can hit me up on Instagram at Life's Rec Podcast uh, and make sure to follow Andrew. What's with Stokes? What do you, what do you mean? No, like that's his that's his IG handle. It's like at What's with Stokes. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> What's with Stokes? Yeah, probably one of my better, like the better handles that we you know that I've seen. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's I like that one. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> oh, guys, um, you know, as I'm sitting here and you know thinking about you know that funny Instagram handle and just you know good having a good laugh, I just can't help but think that uh, Lex Rack, dude, what, what was that? I ruined it for you. No, you're you're done. You can't. No, just you jump can't in. take it back. It made the final edit. No control over the final edit. <laughs> What's going on? Why am I? Yeah, am I see who's going to the corner now. Get back here. No, go away. <laughs> All right, I'll see you guys in two weeks. Oh, stop it! Cut that out. Ah. Oh, shoot. Lies the wreck.